Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It's Christmas Eve. It's not actually Christmas Eve because we taped this a little early, but it's Christmas Eve. So I'm wearing my Christmas plaid. It's very exciting, very festive. I have a Christmas tree, wreaths. Yay. It's like you're celebrating with me. Thank you for joining us today or likely after Christmas Eve, which is probably most likely when you're going to be listening. Um, Today, we are talking about a few different things. So one of them is going to be uh, a New Year's resolution for 2021 around spending plans. Um, We're also going to be talking to those seniors who are about to press submit on most of their regular decision applications. We have some tips for you on the regular regular decision process. Um, but before we get to either of those, I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Lauren DiProspero. Uh, Lauren is a former director of admissions for both Columbia and Stanford's medical schools. And she is bringing us the latest in our med school series, and that's on um, post-baccalaureate programs. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Beth. All right, well, thanks for joining today. So why don't we start with the most basic thing of all, which is, what is a post-baccalaureate program? Yeah, so you may hear about post-bacs aimed at different disciplines. Certainly, once I became aware of them for medical school, I kind of started seeing them everywhere. Um, but for the purposes of our conversation, we're going to focus on those that prepare students for primarily medical or dental school. Um, And then within that category, there are two types of programs. There's career changers and record enhancers. Got it. All right. So you kind of, I'm guessing you just laid out who the people who might uh, take the post-bac path. Um, So maybe why don't we start with the career changers? So what makes them want to do this program? Yeah. So for the career changer programs, this is typically a student who comes to realize their interest in medicine or the healthcare field later. Maybe they were a junior or senior in college who got some sort of exposure to medicine. Oftentimes, it's people who worked for a few years in a completely unrelated field that felt they needed the change or realized that they did want to go into the more hands-on part of medicine. Um, These are students that typically have few or no science classes. So this is really someone who's kind of starting from scratch with this process. For those that are interested in the academic record part of things, this is typically a student who's undergraduate cumulative GPA, science GPA, because in medical school, they use two different GPAs, um, that's maybe not competitive for medical school or is not as competitive as you would like. You know, there are students that are maybe missing a few classes, maybe need to retake a few science classes, you know, one or two. Those are really um, students that would be best benefited as a non-degree student at a nearby college. This type of program is really aimed at those who need more than those few classes and would benefit from a structured curriculum and advising situation. Right. And actually, it's a really good distinction to make because we talked about what a post-bac program is, but um, it is true, right, that you could simply go and take the required science courses at a local college. These programs that we're talking about today, you apply for them. And when you enter, it's all structured and set out for you. So rather than trying to figure out how to get those classes in at the local school, this is you put everything to the side and you do this post-bac program. For some of them, for typically, typically that's what you see. You can, you can find ones where you still stay in the workforce. You can find ones where, you know, it is part-time. Um, But it is also not necessary to do a post-bac program to achieve the strong science record and research and, uh, you know, clinical exposure that's required to apply to medical school. You can do that on your own. These are just programs that really provide that great structure because it is a hard path to, to take without any sort of support in that way. Right, because a lot of students, to your point, for either one of these groups of students, they didn't follow this path while they were undergrads. They weren't taking necessarily advantage of the advising that might have been available to them as undergrads right. for whatever reason. I actually know someone who did a post-bac program who entered college with a goal of going to medical school 
and just kind of, I think she would say she got distracted. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she had every intention and then she went a different path and got really interested in something else. And as a result, her science, she just didn't get it in. Um, But that also meant that she didn't take advantage of what our other peers who were applying directly to medical school did. So it makes sense. Uh, What, so let's talk about the pros and cons, because obviously these can be great, but they're not necessarily the perfect solution. Nothing is the perfect solution. For, right. So in terms of those who are looking to change careers, what do you see as the cons and then the pros of this program? Yeah. So I think that the, the big con for most, at least um, working adults, is that many, but not all, but many of these programs require students to step out of the workforce and focus solely on preparation for medical school for the length of that program, which is typically one to two years. So that's a really big commitment, not just in terms of funds for paying for this, but also time and and just the ability to really focus on this. And, you know, additionally, some of these programs can be really competitive to get into. Um, There aren't that many slots. There's a lot of interest, especially in the more competitive schools. Um, But there are are a lot of benefits to that that type of program, right? Because... They provide that structured curriculum. They help students find research and clinical experiences. And then I think one of the biggest benefits is that some of these programs, a lot of them provide what are called linkage programs. And a linkage program is a formal agreement that allows highly qualified students in that post-bac program to link to a medical school before they complete their post-bac program. Mm. So Typically what happens if you don't have a linkage program is that you're going to have to take a year between your post-bac program and starting medical school because of when the process of applying to medical starts and happens, you wouldn't have the grades. Like there's a lot of things that need to happen. And so by linking through that, the the medical school that's linked in some of these um, have multiple medical schools that you could choose from. And you do have to be nominated. It's a whole process. Um, But that allows them to skip that gap year that follows the post-bac program and go directly into medical school that fall. Um, And so some of the career changer programs um, there are a lot more than this out there, but I figured I'd, I'd kind of throw yeah, out a few names. <laughs> give us some examples. I think that sure. would be great. Yeah. Yep. So Bryn Mawr College, which is outside Philadelphia, University of Louisville, University of Colorado Boulder, UC Berkeley Extension, uh, Washington University in St. Louis are just a few of those examples. Like I said, there are certainly more, but I want to highlight a couple just as a baseline for people to start researching if they are interested in the career changer. Right. And just to clarify, because you did mention that with the linkage programs, there is, you have to be nominated. There's a whole process. Mm-hmm. So by that, I'm in, I'm inferring that getting into the post-bac program doesn't mean that you then will automatically link with a med school program. Would that be correct. accurate? Okay. Yeah, correct. Um, that process typically happens in the fall. It'll vary school to school in their agreements with medical schools. Um, so, you know, it, it is not automatic. It doesn't mean that you won't get into medical school eventually by doing a postback, especially the more selectives are going to, you know, make sure that you'll be a competitive applicant and help you navigate that. Um, but it's not a guarantee that you would do a linkage program or that you would be interested in any of the schools that they're linked with. Right. There's also so- that side of it as well. Exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. Okay. So then we talked about the career enhancers. Let's talk about those who are looking for record enhancement. Sorry, the career changers. Now we're talking about record enhancers. What are the pros and cons for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that the main, I'll start with the benefit on this one. Okay. Um, The main benefit, I think, of the record enhancement programs is the structured curriculum, the advising, and they also do um, sometimes have linkage programs. Um, there's a lot of flexibility through night classes, number of classes each semester that can allow students to continue to work. Um, I think that the, the con is that, you know, if you didn't do well in your science classes in undergraduate, you're going to want to really consider how well you may do in a post-bac program, right? right? Thinking about what are the reasons that you struggled, Right. Are those reasons gone or are they addressed? Will you be able to succeed in this program? Right. And the answers to those questions are going to be different for every student. But I think really kind of soul searching before laying out the money (laughs) to take a few classes. You know, are you really going to be able to be successful 
in these programs. Right. I mean, before you lay out the money, before you take time away from whatever career it is that you're building. Um, last week's show, one of the questions we were answering, answering listener questions, and one of the questions came from a mom whose daughter struggles in math, but is her ultimate goal is medical school. And so she had some questions around the math curriculum that her daughter was thinking about for her junior and senior year. Um, and because she's going to apply to some BSMD programs, but mm -hmm. there are some big questions there. Math yeah. is going to be a really important component. And if that's an area she struggles in, I also think, A, if that's a struggle, is that really going to be an appropriate career if you're going to get into a career that requires math, right? right. And I would yeah, say the same absolutely. for science. You yeah. know, if, you, if you're not great at science, is it because it's just not your favorite? Well, that's also a problem. <laughs> a big problem. <laughs> a big problem, right? Maybe yeah. you love it, but for whatever reason, it doesn't love you back. And then that's right. another problem, right? Exactly. So I, really good advice. Exactly. You know, beyond everything, what we're always, I, I feel like, even if this isn't accurate, but I feel like one of the goals that we have with the podcast is to help people kind of make realistic choices and yes. be honest with themselves, be honest about what you can afford, be honest mm -hmm. about your record and what really, how competitive or not you're going to be with some schools. And that would translate to this as well. Yep. You may have long harbored a desire to be a doctor. You may still, but if you're if, if over time you have shown to yourself again and again that this is not an area where you excel, mm -hmm. it's probably time to find yeah. it. And we want you to do that before you spend a lot of money in a post-bac program. Exactly. And actually, we have a blog post series going on allied healthcare fields, alternatives uh, to the patient care aspect of things that would still allow, you know, people who still want to be in the healthcare field be a part of it, but maybe medicine isn't that, maybe nursing isn't that, um, that can allow them to still work in that field because it is a huge field with a lot of different jobs. So I would encourage our listeners, if they're interested in that, even at the high school level, you know, please take a look at that. I think it'd be really helpful. Yeah. I mean, massive. And I think that people tend to think of, you know, when you think of the law profession, you think of lawyers, when you think of the medical profession, you think of doctors and nurses, but you're right in that this is a massive industry with so many different ways in which you could be involved in it and contribute and help people. It doesn't have to be with a scalpel in an operating room or, you know, seeing patients yeah. in your office on a regular basis. So that's not going to be right for everyone. Yep, exactly. So you gave us some examples of um, universities that had some good career changer post-bac programs. What are some examples you might give for the, um, the record enhancers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, UC Berkeley Extension, they have both. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> American University, St. Xavier University, Temple University, and Washington University in St. Louis. Okay. Um, which I actually really like using as an example because their post-bac program is designed to really support a wide variety of students mm -hmm. entering the field, night classes, flexibility. But I also like it because it is a, a highly selective university, but within their post-bac program, I don't want to say that they're, they're not selective. <laughs> they want students to succeed and we'll make sure that you're able to do the work, but they they have such wide variety of opportunities that I think it's just a good reminder to research a variety of programs to see what fits your name and not to dismiss something because of a name. Got it. Right. Not to think I'm never getting in there. So you dismiss mm -hmm. it. Exactly. And by the same token, not considering a program because maybe it's not got a brand name that you yeah. are super familiar with. Exactly. And actually, this leads me to a good uh, a question that I have, which is, will the post-bac program specifically spell out we are for career changers or we are for program mm -hmm. enhancers? So record enhancers. Yeah, I would say that the career changers are very explicit about that. They are going okay. to say that that you are somebody who does not have many science classes. You know, they'll probably have a cutoff for what they will allow you to have had. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe it could be distance from college as well. If you're 10 years out, maybe they would still consider you a career changer, even though you had some science. Mm -hmm. um, so really looking at those details, they'll say that on the admissions website, what they're looking for. And I would also very much encourage um, anybody who's thinking about this to reach out to their admissions officer officers. Um, you know, they will be able to, to tell you all about what are the requirements, What's included, you can ask to speak to current students, all of those things. They, they 
really want to be talking to you to make sure that this is a right fit for you. They don't want to admit somebody who this isn't, you know, they're not seriously considering it or, or thinking through the different parts of it. So do right. engage with them. Yeah. And, and you actually had shared some additional resources. Um, and I was hoping you could share some of those with our listeners right now. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're still in college, you're late in college, or even if you're just thinking about pre-med, I always say talk to your pre-med advising, talk to your career advising. Um, if you've already graduated, most schools will support students and alumni. So don't, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. If your advisors, maybe your school doesn't have the right types of advisors, there is an organization of health professional advisors, the NAAHP that has volunteer advisors, has some FAQs on post-bac programs. And then the AAMC, which is the organization that oversees medical school admissions and a whole bunch of parts of medical school, in general, has a searchable database of post-baccalaureate pre-med programs. Awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners about the post-bac program? Yeah, I think it's just spend the time reflecting making sure that this is the right choice for you. Speak to advisors, speak to family and friends, just really, it's a big commitment. Yes. <laughs> so just making sure that you're really thinking through and deciding, is this the right path for me? Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, we are gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions around spending for college. So don't go away. future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, we've been working up the whole holiday season to this moment, but then hot on Christmas Eve's heels are New Year's Eve and New Year's resolutions. Um, and my next guest is here to talk to us about thinking about making some resolutions on spending and saving as it relates to college. Um, and joining me is Jan Combs, who, as I mentioned, works here with me at College Coach, is also a former financial aid officer at both BU and Harvard. Hi, Jan. Hi, Beth. How are you? Happy holidays. Ah, same to you. And thanks Thank for you. taking time today to talk to us. Of course. Um, so... When we were thinking through what are some New Year's resolutions that we would encourage students and families to make, obviously going into the new year, having a smart plan for your financials is a great yeah. one. Of course, that is incredibly broad. So it we is. are, because we are a podcast all about uh, college admissions and paying for college, we thought we would focus in on it as it relates to that. So you know, what are your what are your thoughts as someone is approaching the new year and wanting to kind of establish some really good habits 
um, because they know that it's going to be time to start spending for college or paying for college. Um, you know, what are your initial thoughts there? Sure. Well, I think it's never too early to have good spending habits and good financial responsibility, certainly. And I think New Year's resolutions really is a time when we think about that. Let's get on top of our spending for the new year. And as it relates to college, certainly saving for college. If you have younger children, really getting a handle on saving for college. If you have children in college now, really making sure you have the funds allocated to, you know, reallocate to college to pay that bill either monthly or in one big lump sum. Or if you're like me, where your oldest child is a senior in college, really starting to work with that child who in less than six months is going to graduate, likely have a full-time, you know, good salary generating um, position and, you know, really working with him to teach him how to manage his money when he gets out into the real world. So lots of options within that whole um, New Year's resolution and, and, and spending realm for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we have done lots of um, podcasts around saving for college and thinking about those vehicles. And also similarly, we do a lot of stuff um, related to paying for college and all the different ways. So I think today, so for the people who are interested in those pieces, I would suggest go to our archive. Um, Yes, lots out there. Exactly. And actually, if you, you, the archive itself at the Voice America site isn't super searchable, but if you go to our blog, blog blog.getintocollege.com, you can search for those topics on our blog and we write a blog associated with every single podcast. And so you can yeah. find the dates and times that um, these blogs ran. And then you can go to the Voice America archive or you can go to the um, Apple podcast archive and you can search for that specific session. Sure. There. So plug for the archives. Yes, All right, lots so, of options. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But let's start. Let's talk about. Um, things like budgeting and tools like that, because of course, that's always the first step. So are there, um, you know, are budgets and spending plans the same kind of tool? Do you think about them differently? How do you approach this? So that's a great question, because oftentimes people use the term budget and spending spending plan kind of interchangeably. And they're actually similar in some ways, but there is a a grand difference. And that's what I really like to focus on. So with budgets, think about them more as an estimation of your kind of your revenue sources and all of your anticipated expenses. You're kind of projecting out what your revenue might be, what your expenses might be. Budgets are a terrific tool to get a handle kind of on that global information that you need. Um, A lot of people are like, oh, budgets. (laughs) keyword. It's terrible. I don't want to do it. They really are wonderful, handy tools that you can, you know, use to to make your um, financial life smoother and to reach your goals. So budgets are really think of that kind of overarching um, data collection and analysis of what you think is coming in and what you think is going out. Right. Spending plans, which I love, really are a much more detailed financial plan. It allows you to look at exact income figures and it's going to prompt you to make decisions. And mm-hmm. a spending plan will go so deep as to force you or prompt <laughs> you to make decisions about every single dollar that you have left over after reaching your um, responsibilities. And that's right. why they're so powerful because spending plans force you to allocate your money every dollar guided by your values, right? And your priorities, which will help you reach your goals, whether that's saving for college, helping your almost college graduate get a handle on life or reallocating money, you know, to college or anything else really in the realm of, you know, college expenses. Sure. Well, but of course, as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, like a really detailed plan and every dollar I already start to um, get, you know, like, oh, what is this going to require? So With that in mind, what tips do you have for, for starting to even think about something like that? Sure. And I will say that it's not meant to be an overwhelming situation. You really can keep it simple. You can use a system that works and you'll define that system yourself, whether or not you're using an Excel spreadsheet, because that's how you roll and that's what you're most comfortable with, or whether you're using one of the many, many, many online tools or phone apps that are available okay. to keep it simple. You pick your system, Um, keep sight of what your goals are, think about your values and priorities, and that's going to lead you as you make your decisions. But ultimately, the key with a spending plan that's different than a budget is you're really looking at every single pay pay cycle. So whether or not you get paid every week, every two weeks, or every month, 
you need to revisit. And you look <laughs> okay. at what you know what you, what you're getting that month. Is it your uh, what what pays coming in? What other revenue sources that you have? Do you have a side gig? Are you getting a gift that particular month? So you're working with real income figures. And then you're going to look at your real expenses, you know, minimum loan payments, rent or mortgage, um, the amount you've committed to saving for college, for example. And once you account for all that, hopefully you have some money left over. Right. And that's where you decide where to put it. You're driving that. You have the power then to, to decide really where your money's going. Right. And it's better because it's not just a haphazard pool of money that all of a sudden is going to go for like non-discretionary things. Right. You have the power to allocate it where you want to allocate it. So that's why spending spending plans are a little bit more powerful than just a general budget. And, yeah, but those are the tips. Keep it simple. Right. Okay. So keep it simple. So we're going to, you're going to share some of your favorite resources for this, but before we go there, um, you know, if, if I'm sitting here at home right now, I found the resource that I'm going to use um, what kinds of information do I need to gather in order to kind of get ready to take a hold of? Because I really think that's how I like to think of it is I'm taking control of my money. And what there's no worse feeling than when you sort of feel like it's out of your control. Like, I don't really, I got paid and I don't really know where that money went. And I don't and know where to start, right? Exactly. And, or I don't know where to start or both. My money is flying out the door. I have no right. idea what I'm spending on. And I don't even know how to start figuring it out and get control right. of it. So that is the key. Keep it simple. Use one. If you're, if you're really um, concerned about being able to organize yourself, use one of those online resources. There are a ton of companies, and we can share that at the end, that have free online spending plan templates. So they've already kind of charted it out for you. So okay. there will be an income section, first of all, that will say, what's your net income in a certain period? Um, do you have other revenue sources? Do you have a side hustle? Are you getting money from a friend or whomever? That's going to always be the first part of it. Then monthly bills. Is it rent or a mortgage? Um, and then monthly debts, you know, minimum payments due to those student loans or car loan or whatever it is. And then of course, I'm not a Grinch. Of course, we're going <laughs> to of course, we're going to put in lifestyle expenses, right? Right. So we should incorporate that. Do you have concert tickets or do you want to buy movie passes or whatever it is? You're going to incorporate your lifestyle because that's important. Right. And then there's any other living expenses that you have. So where to get that info? Obviously, your pay, your pay stub is going to be the number one go-to place initially, mm -hmm. as well as any 1099s if you have a, a side gig or something like that. And then monthly statements. You know, you get your car loan statement in, you get your mortgage statement in, and then look at receipts to try mm -hmm. to get a handle on, you know, how much did I spend in groceries last month, for example? How much did I spend on clothing, et cetera, et cetera? So really pay stubs, um, bank statements, um, grocery receipts, any types of receipts, all of those financial documents. And I will say, I know this is sounding scary right now. <laughs> once you do it once, you're good to go. Right. It's that initial template that's just going to take a little bit of time pulling from your resources. But I promise if you look at one of those online templates, they actually have a lot of these categories already built in. Right. And then you personally decide, hey, what's on the docket? Am I really looking to, you know, what's my priorities? Am I looking to save for college or something else or pay down loans, for example? So it's not as scary as it sounds. I promise if you're looking at a template you'll see this is doable for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're talking about this as a new year's resolution, but there's nothing that says that you have to do this on January one, you could earmark a few hours between now and January one to choose your, the template you're going to use. Yes. And then you could spend the month of January keeping track of all those documents, like you just said. And then in February could be the month that you set it all that up. That you kick off your actual spending exactly, plan. Exactly, right? So, you know, you know, revisit, you know, right. revisit often. Exactly. And just like a little piece at a time. So now is a great time to share kind of what are some of your favorite resources that, that you use or that you recommend for others? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, there's a lot out there, which is great. So depending on your style and, and which online sources you want to use, but certainly Nerd Wallet is a, a really big popular company. Um, Mint, uh, Finra, 
And then if you're looking more for government sites, um, certainly Consumer Credit Bureau, um, that would be consumerfinance.gov. That's a great one as well. They have wonderful articles. Um, the Balance has had information um, as well related to spending plans. Um, so you really can't go wrong. Um, FINRA is another one that has a lot of great tools, budgets, spending plans. And then if you get to a certain point where you're like, hey, I want to do my own thing, an Excel spreadsheet works beautifully. That's what I use. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, my husband has created an Excel spreadsheet. We also use Quicken, which yes. is, I know, not free, but um, you know, we use that to kind of track and keep track of what do we spend our money on. Um, sure. Yeah. And that's a great point that you brought up that you're using Quicken, right? To try to look at really what your expenses are. Um, we do something similar and it is free. Mm-hmm. We use um, our charge card oh, receipts yeah. and we just plunk them into an Excel spread and they're all characterized. And right. so we have a really good sense of where our money, money went in the past year and that will help us project out. So in that yeah. situation, is that you use the credit card and that's your primary thing that you use to spend? Well, it is yeah. because since I have three children, um, my, I use my credit card and I get 2% back. And of course it goes right into my college savings ah. plan. So, so that's why I use it. It works for me. So certainly another way of approaching it. I love it. Um, any last thoughts or tips before we wrap up the segment? You know, I think you you hit on it, Beth, is that you don't need to start it on January 1st if you don't right. want to. Um, you take baby steps, you develop your system, you develop your commitment as well, because it is something that you do need to go back, you know, each pay period and revisit. Um, but that's the key. And again, keep it simple. Use a system that works for you. And again, they're not meant to limit. They're, right. they're, it's really giving you power right. to allocate your funds based on your values and priorities at the time. So look at it as a positive thing. Not a- <laughs> yes, right. It's not. We're not limiting what you spend your money nope. on. You're just taking control of what you spend your money on. Absolutely. Making sure that you're spending on things you actually really want to spend it on. Yep, so. exactly. Jan, thanks yep. so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Good luck and happy holidays. Thanks. Uh, And same to you. We are going to be talking about regular decision. Those deadlines are coming due. um, And we'll do that right after a quick break. So don't go away. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us on what might be Christmas Eve for you, although I know most of you watch this after it's officially aired. Um, So maybe you're during your holiday break, but you can see that my colleague, Julia Jones. Hi, Julia. (laughs) Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. You have the perfect backdrop for our show today. I'm feeling a little festive. Um, it is yeah. much better than my little, almost sad, Aww. but I kind of like it. White plastic tree. <laughs> Debatable, but it's cute. 
it works. Um, <clears throat> Julia is here today because we are talking about regular decision. Uh, we have been spending probably the last month and a half really focused on early action, early decision, priority admissions, rolling admissions. Um, and But most people apply to college via regular decision. And um, that's what we want to cover today. So um, if you were, just a quick note that if you were deferred from your early decision choice or your early action choice, we covered that on last week's podcast. So check that out for more details on how you handle a deferral. And then prior to that, we did a show around what to expect with those early results. So if you are still focused on early, well, never fear. We have those shows for you. Um, but today is not that day. So I think my first question for you, Julia, is um, ideally students come into this process with a list and um, sometimes they want to change the list based on early results. And so how do you encourage students to think about their regular decision list, whether they apply, I mean, if they applied early and and they're going to change it based on those results? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's not a bad time to, to maybe do a quick check and see, you know, have has anything changed? Um, you know, especially this year, if you have new, you may have new testing, things that might actually have changed. But but even if you don't, it's it's a, a you know, if, if you've gotten some early results uh, from colleges and if you've gotten some maybe some good news, but maybe some, you know, not so great news, you know, mm-hmm. it might be time to look at that regular list and see, does it still make sense? Um, you know, I, I, admissions and crafting list is a little bit of reading tea leaves. And so yeah. it's, it's trying to, you know, to see if, I mean, if you applied early to a, a REACH school and you didn't get in um, or just were deferred or denied um, and you have other schools that are as challenging or even more so, that may be an opportunity to take a look and see, okay, does it make sense to, you know, to, to really have as many um, REACH schools on my list or schools that are that um, that challenging, or should you maybe add, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to think about adding any schools, you know, should you maybe add some, some schools that might be easier schools to get into, you know, ones where you are above the average accepted student or that you have a better shot. So, so I think it's a little bit of a reality check and, and just taking an honest look at, at your list. Yeah. And actually, I didn't mention at the beginning of the show, but Julia oversees list creation for, all of the lists that we do put together for students. Um, So she is particularly expert in the question of lists. Um, I would say that one of the big challenges that we see every year um, are students doing the exact opposite of what you just said, right? So they don't get into um, a REACH school that they chose for early decision. Usually, although I would not say this is the best use of your early decision chip, but they will do it for the most selective school on the list. So in other words, the school they have the least likely chance of getting into, they use early decision for that. Um, Not always the best choice, um, but we're not here to talk about strategy today as it relates to that. But if you have followed that and then you got deferred or denied from that choice, now is not the time to double down and add three or four or five other schools that are as selective or more selective. Um, Yes, every school has different priorities and they're making their own set of decisions, but you could look at that initial decision as a pretty good sense of what is to come. Um, I have literally never in the 14 and a half years that I've been doing this work at College Coach, I have never had a student get deferred or denied from a huge reach and early, add a bunch more for regular. I've never had one get in to one of those huge yeah. reaches that they added. Right. So. Yeah. I don't think I have either. And yeah. And it's, it's, but yeah, I mean, it's tempting and it's, you know, you hear the same, it's like, well, you never know. And why not? And, and, you know, there are so many reasons why not. Um, right. But, it, you know, I think for me, I always really push back on a student when I get a student who's asking, you know, to add, or, you know, wanting to add schools willy nilly like that is just, you know, and it's a question I would ask even before this time in the process, but like, why is the school on your list? Why are you adding it? You know, any school on your list, you should really be able to make the case. This is why it's here. This is why it's a good fit for me. If it's Mm -hmm. just because, well, you know, because it's Harvard or because it's, you know, X, you know, this great school or this great name, um, 
Well, you know, first of all, that's not a good reason to apply anytime, but especially not, you know, when you're sort of in the final, you know, the final stretch and, and, and if you've already gotten some, you know, some, some indicators that this may not be a possibility anyway. So, right. right. The only thing, other thing that I would point to in terms of, um, your list and, and regular decision is just what I have had a number of students do is they have a list, um, maybe in this case, in this case, definitely they're applying to early action schools, not early decision schools. And they have a list of, if I don't get into this early action school, I'm going to apply to, you know, these nine schools. If I do get into this school, I'm not going to, I'm only going to apply to these other three schools that I like just as much, if not more than my early action schools. but I don't really like these other four quite as much. So if I get in, and I can afford it, then I'm going to not do those other four applications. And I think that's a great approach. Um, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, there's no, I mean, that's, you know, if you are, if you're already in at colleges and at schools that you really are excited about and, and are great options, then yeah, don't apply to a school just because, you know, you can, you can change the, you can change the equation um, here. So, right. you know, nothing is, is set in stone and, and um, it's, yeah, I, I think you want to really, make sure that your list whenever and however you're doing, if you're adding or subtracting, that it makes sense for you too. So exactly. um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, do the nice thing. And I know that we don't always necessarily think about that when it comes to college admissions, but your schools that you don't like as much as the one that just admitted you, somebody else may be just dying to go there. And, and in, you might literally take a spot away from them if you apply. So it might mean the difference between that person getting in or getting waitlisted or being outright denied. And so, you know, be thoughtful about other people. You can only attend one college. So um, try to keep yeah, it's that. It's not about collecting acceptances, right? That's not, that's not the name of the game here. It so. is not. There is only you, that, the, the ability to talk about where you got in goes away about a month after you get all your acceptances. No one really is going to care 10 years from now. Well, hey, I got into all 10 schools I applied to. Right. Nobody, that's not going to be part of your life. All right. <laughs> um, what else? I, I, you had a great, um, something that I, literally wasn't even thinking about, Um, but uh, checking in, right? Checking in with teachers and counselors. So what's your advice around that? It's the same advice that we give for, you know, before the first deadlines, it's, you know, teachers and counselors, especially if you're adding schools on your list, but even if your list is the same and your strategy is okay, look, you know, pivoting to the regular decision, you know, check in, make sure that, you know, the counselor and your teachers know that these are the schools that are, that's next. And, you know, they know what the deadlines are in whatever way in, you know, the, whatever protocol is, is, uh, you know, is, is there for, you know, for you. And if your school uses Naviance, there's an easy way to do that, but whatever the, you should at this point already know what that process, what that policy, what that process is. And then, you know, just make sure to check in and say, okay, Hey, I've got these, you know, five schools that have uh, deadlines for January one, just want to make sure you're, you're ready to go for, for those, uh, for those recommendation letters and transcripts. If and and I want to do a a shout out for those counselors and teachers. Um, They are also on vacation. So your emergency is not their emergency. And um, they may literally not be available to you that week between Christmas and New Year's. And if you have a January one deadline, and you didn't think to let them know, or you realize at the last minute that you haven't let them know, well, it's very likely that their pieces are not going to go out until everybody is back in school. And that is your failure to plan. It's not their failure. So, you know, we could we could talk about why are deadlines on January 1 when schools are closed? That doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. It's been happening since the beginning of time or since the beginning of college admissions. Um, but it is the world that we live in. And um be kind to them and also recognize that if you want their help, you need to follow their policies. And also that if you have a panicked moment, you know, the day before your deadline, the likelihood that you're going to be able to reach someone and get help with that is pretty slim, I would say. Yeah, no, I think it is. You're right. These deadlines have been published for ages. So it's not like, you know, all of a sudden it, it's, it sneaks up on any of us. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to know. And, and I think the other thing to make sure you're doing and giving yourself some time to do is if you are submitting testing 
if yes. you are going to be, you know, whether it's, you know, and, and that's this year, you know, that's a decision to make for every school. Um, some schools will want those uh, official test scores sent directly from the official uh, test companies. And that takes time too. That's not something you can just do last minute. So, so I think you have to really make sure, okay, if, if I've added a few additional schools, that next step is after you've, you know, checked in with your guidance counselor and your teachers yes. is go to the college board or go to the ACT site and make sure you're sending them to the schools that need it. Right. Absolutely. Really good advice. We don't, we're not always thinking about that this year because again, not everyone has the ability to test, but it is a really important thing to think about. Um, I think the other thing that we should share is that, you know, the deadline may be January 1. Ironically, a lot of the schools won't be staffed on January 1. I mean, this year, January 1 is a Friday and it's a holiday in the, in this country. So you know, I, we shut down between Christmas and New Year's when I worked at Penn. Um, I don't know if at Brandeis, if they did the same, but um, yeah. the fact is that materials may arrive a little, a few days after the deadline, a week after the deadline, not really going to be a huge thing for um, most schools, but there are some schools that will specify they want everything in by the deadline. And so if you have any of those schools on your list, you better make sure that you are well ahead of the game, um, which actually brings up uh, something that came up last week on the, the podcast. Um, we had a listener question and she asked, you know, do you kind of get, she didn't ask this specifically, but she more or less said, do you get brownie points for getting that application two to three weeks in early? Do they know you really want to go there? And of course the answer is no, you don't. However, <laughs> um, what is your recommendation in terms of when should you be pressing submit on these regular decision applications? Um, can you do it the day of the deadline? Is that really the best time to do it? What do you think? Well, obviously you can. I mean, you have until I think in most cases midnight on the day of the deadline or at 11.59 p.m., whatever time zone they, they are in. But um, don't do that. I, I think that, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, if you can avoid it, you know, give yourself an internal deadline, you know, a day or two at least ahead of it. Um, you know, things happen. You know, we've learned this year how, how you know, to expect the unexpected. and. Yes. You know, and it's it's also winter in most many parts of the world. So that means snowstorms and power outages. I know where I live, we lose power, you know, if like a snowflake falls. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. don't let you don't want that stress if you're like, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, two hours before the deadline and, and I've lost power and I don't know what to do. Um, so or you've lost Internet or the site itself, the schools, you know, the site crashes. Um, colleges will often give some grace and, and often will extend the deadline if something like that, that may happens. But again, you don't need the stress, you know, enjoy your holiday, you know, so, so if you can, so that way you can ring in the new year without having to worry about, oh my gosh, uh, you know, how, what do I have to do, you know, to, to, before I can celebrate? Absolutely. I tell all my students, we're finishing before Christmas because you don't want to do this during your Christmas break. I'm not going to be doing this during my Christmas break. Who wants that, right? Of course, in October, everyone's like, of course not. We're going to get it all done. We don't want to be thinking about that. But we also all know that not everybody does that. And then suddenly they find themselves. But, you know, you're so right. If you are, if you're working on these so late that uh, at two hours before the deadline, now you lose power and it's a problem. Well, that problem was created days ago. There is no way that you should still be working on those applications the day that they are due um, if you've approached this in a thoughtful way. And by the way, it's December 24th. You still have some time to be more thoughtful so that you are not waiting to press submit until two hours before the deadline. Um, yeah. And I, I think your point, your other point is a really good one. Yes, schools can extend deadlines from time to time. And actually, we're seeing it quite a bit this year for a variety of reasons. But we know that the UC system extended the deadline to December 4th, specifically because there was a major tech issue that impacted everybody. That's a different thing than a tech issue that is caused by your home or you, right? Like if you lose right. power in Plastow, that is a different thing than if the entire state of California can't submit a UC application on the day that it's due. Um, right. They're not gonna extend the deadline for you, but yeah. they might if it's their entire constituency. So. Right. So, yeah. So just plan ahead so that you're not, I mean, we can never predict emergencies, but you know, it's it, in this one instance, like just don't, don't give yourself that 
um, you know, you're, you're, you don't want to set yourself up for that kind of failure. That's exactly right. That self-created that could have been avoided. Um, all right. And then one last thing that people may not be thinking about, but a great piece of advice for seniors and around school, which yeah. is yeah. still a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's, it's you know, for seniors, it's a normal inclination to say, okay, my applications are done. I'm, you know, you may have already gotten into a college. So it's like, Phew, I can take it easy. And, you know, so I'll be the, a bit of the, uh, the Grinch here in that, you know, yeah, that's not the time to do that, especially for regular applications. They are going to more likely want to see your mid-year grades. And so, um, you know, and even, you know, grades that go into the um, spring. So, so yeah, don't, don't be a slacker um, and call any college even the ones that you've already been admitted to work, but they're going to want to see your grades, your final transcript anyway. So, so just a gentle reminder. I know we say this in a lot of different places like, yeah, just, you know, don't, don't drop your AP classes. Don't take a, you know, take that right. early <laughs> senior slide. It's just, you know, keep, keep the momentum going. Yes. Um, senior really you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Senior slide. Very bad thing. If you've worked this hard up to this point, you just have to keep it going for another few months. Um, And then you'll be energized to continue to do really well when you get to college. And then there's work and there's no senior slide allowed at work either. So you just don't get to do it. Um, (laughs) Julia, I really appreciate you joining us today and and sharing all of your wisdom um, around regular decision. And uh, so thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me and have a great holiday. Absolutely. Um, Same to you, same to all of our listeners. I also want to give a shout out to all my guests today. Um, So Julia, Jan, and Lauren. Um, Next week, I'm hosting again. I'm just hosting left and right these days. Um, But we're going to be doing a few more New Year's resolutions this time time around college admissions. Um, We have some more stories from our team. We have some people who went back to college as adults. And so we're going to talk a little bit about both what that's like, but also um, paying for it when you're going to college as an adult. If you have questions, you can shoot them to us on Facebook, on Instagram. You could send them to our email address, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We are, as you might imagine, since I just suggested it, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn. So check us out. And of course, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.